Hi friends, and welcome to another episode of the Oakham Church Podcast. Uh, Doing something a little bit different this week. Uh, We're going to get a full-on sermon, so I hope you're ready for this. Um, So we're going to dig straight in without any further ado. I'm going to start by um, telling a few stories. First off, um, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, there was once this uh, young Jedi apprentice who eventually becomes a Jedi master and he is so consumed with this idea of keeping the tradition, keeping the way things are done pure and 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 connected and, and together and, and the way that, that all things have always been done need to be kept and we need to not deviate and there needs to not not be any kind of leeway and any kind of kind of acceptance of of other people and, and other things going on and so over time this this idea grows and this empire begins to to build surrounding this this jedi and um try as hard as he wants there's still little pockets of rebellion and, and still little little pockets of, of of people fighting back and fighting back and it doesn't matter how hard he tries he he cr- tries to create this this wonderful kind of um floating planet almost but that's a spaceship that that can work in harmony with all his ideas and all his theories and everyone knows their place and everyone fits in this hierarchy perfectly and no one's confused and everyone knows what their job is and what their role is and who's in charge and who's not and this whole kind of idea of this wonderful existence and yet here come these rebels and they destroy it and they ruin everything or how about this for a story? Uh, there was once a wizard who was so um, full of potential, so um, full of possibility and, and wanted to learn about the old ways and keep things pure and, and again, not let kind of these outside influences um, dilute his tradition and his heritage and so f- kind of banded like-minded people around him and, and wanted to wanted to kind of kick against anybody uh, trying to make little of of his existence and and how he was doing things and and over and over again he's he's struggling against all these different people who are wanting to to fight him and wanting to dilute it and not seeing his point of view and not understanding where he's going and so he tries to become powerful and then more powerful and then more powerful and thinks this is it now they'll respect me now they'll now they'll come and join me and no over and over again they fight and they fight and they fight and and ultimately he gets to this point where it's this is fantastic he's he's rooted down all the troublemakers and he's just got to get rid of them and if he can cut the head off that snake then that will be the end and and the wizarding world can can remain pure the way it's supposed to be the way it's always been the way tradition has said that that's the way it is and yet in that final moment of of trying to chop that head off that rebellious snake something happens and he ends up defeating him instead. There's some kind of weird ricochet, there's some strange thing where all he's got to do is just kill this one helpless child, this weak, insignificant baby, and he can't do it. You might have recognised those stories, um, but of course they're taken from a different perspective. Um, The first was the Star Wars saga, but looking at it from Darth Vader. And the second was the Harry Potter origin story, but looking at it from Lord Voldemort's perspective. And you could give those stories 
equally as much time. They, they're interesting. I'm sure there's been fan fiction and, and some of the, um, since, uh, since that time, some of the, the Star Wars ones have explored kind of, um, all that sort of stuff anyway, but titles matter. The way that we title something shines a light on a specific character and it draws attention to, to different scenes and it, it shifts it shifts our focus. The titles centralise what the story is ultimately about. If you read Harry Potter and whatever it is, you know that this story is going to be telling us about this character called Harry Potter. So I'm going to tell you another well-known story now. This is called, in, our, in this Bible anyway, the parable of the lost son. It might say the prodigal son or something like that in your version as well. It's from Luke 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all together that he had and set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth on wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your money and your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the reason we're focusing on... Um, that story of the prodigal son is that it's one of the, the lectionary readings for this um, uh, Sunday of Lent. 
And so today I want us to try and widen our focus, to kind of open out our perspective so that we're not just honed in on this younger son. Because by even just by reading the title, The Parable of the Lost Son or The Parable of the Prodigal Son, straight away our focus and our attention goes to this younger son. But today I want us to widen that out because titles matter. And I think that the title that we give to this story narrows our view too much. And I think we miss out on what it is that Jesus is actually pointing us towards. So if we focus more on the second half of this story, and if we title the story differently, how might that help us to look back at the story with new eyes? So what I'm going to do on this podcast is I want to give you, I want to submit to you two alternative titles to see if they can help us to learn anything new by calling this story something different, by calling this story something else. So here's the first title. The Parable of the Faithful and Yet Self-Righteous Son. Okay, so I want us to go to the very beginning of this story because right at the start we get some clues about why Jesus tells this story in the first place. It says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man, Jesus, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And then Jesus tells this parable. So Jesus tells a group of three parables, actually, that are all teaching about the same thing. Or maybe it's one parable told three different ways. I'm not quite sure. He tells one about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but then one gets lost. And so he leaves the 99 to search for the lost one until he finds it. Then he tells one about a woman with ten coins, but she loses one and searches everywhere until she finds it. And then he tells this story that we're focusing on today about the man with his two sons. And the reason that Jesus is telling these stories is because a group of religious guys can't handle, they can't deal with who Jesus is choosing to associate with. When you read these interactions between Jesus, over and over again, you can see just how much it's winding them up that Jesus is welcoming and eating with people that they've decided are unclean or unworthy. So that's what kicks these stories off. And Jesus tells this parable about a younger son, a father, and an older son. And we're told that this older son is in the fields, faithfully working, when this younger son comes home. Notice the story tells us that the older son can hear the music and the dancing going on, but that he has to go and ask a servant what's actually happening. See, the older son didn't know there was a party going on. He didn't know that there was a celebration happening, let alone the reasons for that celebration. No one had bothered to come and get him. He's in the field, working for his dad and his family. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And this little detail in the story had to jump out to these first hearers of this these religious leaders and Pharisees and teachers of the law, they would have related to the older son in this story. My suspicion is that a lot of us today can relate with the older son as well. A lot of us here in this podcast right now can relate with that older son. 
And in this story, is being named and exposed something else. There's something going on here that for one reason or another connects with lots of us. How many of us, like the older son, were, were focused on keeping our heads down and getting the job done? Or doing the responsible thing? That we're so busy doing what's expected that we don't even realise that there's good news being celebrated all around us? How many of us, like in the Mary and Martha story, have chosen to be busy in the kitchen instead of present at Jesus' feet? To carry on in the story, we see that after asking a servant what's going on and, and why all the noise and the fuss is going on, and after hearing about his younger brother's return, he refuses to go into the party. He won't go and join in. Doesn't that sound like the Pharisees and the religious leaders? Where instead of going straight up to Jesus himself to ask him why he's doing what he's doing, they either grumble and conspire amongst themselves or they go and ask his disciples. Where instead of joining with the, the conversation and the meals with the people who are curious and attracted to this refreshing, welcoming, good news message. They distance themselves even more and, and watch from a distance, watch far off. And then notice how the older son talks about himself when he's speaking to his dad on the outside of that party. I'll read it again, verse 29. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Did you hear that? I've been slaving. I never disobeyed your orders. This older son doesn't see himself for who he really is. He doesn't see himself as a son at all, does he? He sees himself as a slave or as a servant, following orders. It makes me think that these religious leaders needed to hear this more than anything else in the story. That they are more than what they do for God. That they are more than their ability to, to live up to all those strict laws. That they are more than just machines for memorising Torah. It makes me wonder if maybe some of us today needing to hear this, we need this kind of same shift in our identities as well, in the way that we see ourselves. That we might need to reassess the way that we see our relationship to the Father. And then finally, the older son starts kind of really ramping up and, and, and ranting at the father, doesn't he? He's speaking out against the younger son, so much so that he wasn't even kind of able to, to say that he was his brother. He says, this son of yours. He doesn't say, my brother. He doesn't call him by name. He says, this son of yours. See, the older brother hasn't even spoken to the younger brother at this point. And yet he's already assuming the worst. 
There's this bit where the older son says that his little brother has been off wasting or squandering his money on prostitutes. Even though we're not told anything like that from the younger brother's perspective of the story. But that doesn't matter. The older brother is just filling in the details. He's enhancing it. He's exaggerating it. And this is the exact same tactic that the religious leaders will use when getting Jesus arrested and ultimately crucified. They'll exaggerate, they'll embellish things to make them sound worse than they are. And maybe we do this as well. When we're feeling left out or overlooked or disrespected or marginalised, maybe we exaggerate the, the sins or the issues of other people to make us feel better and to make someone else look worse. They're bad, we're good. They're undeserving and and we deserve better. The parable of the faithful and yet self-righteous son gets us to read and hear this story a bit differently, doesn't it? But the truth is, I don't like this different title for this story. And you know why? It's because too often, I'm the faithful yet self-righteous son. I'm really good at putting my head down. I'm good at not ruffling feathers. I'm good at working in the field. I'm good at not asking for anything else. But what I'm really good at is, I'm good at feeling slighted. I'm good at looking at the other person and thinking, what about me? I'm good at thinking highly of myself and looking down on others. Anyone else see themselves in the faithful yet self-righteous son? Yeah. And I'm sure that part of Jesus' audience were younger sons and they did need calling back home. But part of Jesus' audience were also those faithful and yet self-righteous sons who needed calling in from the field and into the party to celebrate the finding of lost things. One commentator, when talking about this parable, says that this story isn't an appeal to sinners, but an appeal to the hard-hearted righteous. It's an appeal to the faithful yet self-righteous, begging them to come inside and share in the celebration of those who've come back home. So that's our first alternative title for this story, the parable of the faithful but self-righteous son. Here's our second alternative title to try and help us look at this story in a different way. And it's this, the parable of the generous and welcoming father. And this, I think, judging by the patterns of the the sheep story and the coin story that came before it, this is the central theme of this story. So going back to the why of this parable, it's Why? Because how Jesus was behaving and who he was choosing to associate with was being questioned. And he doesn't try and defend himself. Notice he doesn't fight back against the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He doesn't argue with them. In fact, by telling these stories, he's actually telling them that his generous and welcoming approach to the undesirables is true. And not just that, but by stressing the fact that the father is 
pleading with the older son, Jesus is displaying that God's generosity and, and welcoming spirit is even big enough for these Pharisees and religious leaders. So we've already looked at how the older son reacts to the father, but notice how the father responds to the older son. His father went out and pleaded with him, we're told. Just like how the father went out and ran to the younger son, the father goes out to the older one as well. Dad doesn't just shrug his shoulders and leave the older son out there in the fields. He goes out to him and he pleads with him not to miss out on this party. This is what it means to be both generous and welcoming. And then we get some of my favourite lines in probably the whole Bible, which is a big claim to make, I understand. And it's this. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father's saying there's plenty to go around. By me blessing your brother, it takes nothing away from you. There's no scarcity in God's generosity. There's no scarcity in God's welcoming spirit. The author Rodney Clapp puts it beautifully when he's rewording what the father says here. He puts it like this. This is not your brother's party as much as it is my party. The party that I throw for many. I am on the lookout for all of my loved ones, near or far. See, I think that there's a bit of a, a religious leader in all of us. Anytime we find it hard to imagine certain people being um, generously uh, and, and welcomed in by God. Anytime that we act like it's us or them, then we're the older son. We're those religious leaders. And finally, I think that this parable is telling two things to any of us who relate to the older son today. And these are, this is the two things. Firstly, don't miss out on the party. Of course you're allowed to stay outside and have a good old moan, grumble and be bitter or jealous. But the better choice is to accept the invitation of the generous and welcoming father and come into the party, join in, celebrate. Because what was lost is now found and what was dead is alive again. Don't miss out on the party. And the second thing is this. Don't stress about the guest list. It's not your job to be a bouncer on the door. It's not your job to check the guest list. You're simply invited to join in the party. There's an old hymn that's called There's a wilderness in God's... Uh, there's, there's a wildness in God's mercy written in the 1800s by Frederick Faber. And there's one verse that says this, and I'll leave this with you at the end of the podcast now. It says this. But we make his love too narrow by false limits of our own, and we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. Every one of us could confess there's been times when we've made God's love too narrow. And every one of us have clung on to things that God would not own. So may we never forget 
that the generous and welcoming Father invites all who are lost. Whether that's returning from a life of self-righteous living or a life of self-indulgent living, we are all welcomed home. Grace and peace.